0: They're Ant-Man and the Wasp. They're Ant-Man and the Wasp. One is the Ant-Man, the other's the Wasp, I guess. Hey! (laughs) We just made up a new theme song for Marvel. What's happening? I'm Andrew Fantasia.
1: What's up, guys? I'm Ryan J.
0: Whitehead. (laughs) Norf. Norf. Oh, well done. And this is Infinity Rewatch. And Ryan, are you pondering what I'm pondering?
1: I don't know. I don't know. Is uh, John Krasinski still being cast as uh, Mr. Fantastic?
0: <laughs> Maybe he is. I I saw an interesting headline today that I thought it's one of those things on like a clickbait aggregate where it's like, we have no news. So let's say something that's not news and pretend it is news, which they all do. And it was <laughs> breaking news. Jennifer Lawrence is not playing the Invisible Woman. <laughs> <It's> like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. Actually, I did see that myself, but they pitched. I think it was a different team, but they pitched it as that was happening. And I was like, <laughs> no, that's not happening. That's a BS rumor.
0: Wow. Well done, aggregates. You got your click <laughs> for the day. Uh, and uh, we don't have to worry about Jennifer Lawrence coming in and, and uh, taking the lazy way out on another Marvel franchise. Shots fired! Yeah. Shots fired oh. across the score now. What are you going to do about it, Jayla? Please don't hurt me. I've seen you in Hunger Games. You're very tough. Uh, this is Infinity <laughs> Rewatch, and we're talking today about Ant-Man and the Wasp, everybody's favorite sequel to Ant-Man. Uh, and it's uh, it's got the Wasp in it, and that's why the mm-hmm. title. I, I like Again, I like this title, man. This is a great sequel title. You got Ant-Man. Don't just call it Ant-Man 2. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp. She's part of it. It's like Batman and Robin. You, you call it like you see it.
1: Oh yeah, no. This one, this one I will say the trailer just got me so hyped. This one, the this one is when uh, good old Peyton, this is this time Peyton's not not been like just added into it. This time he's been he's at the creative helm. He's taken this brand and just taken it further. He and I will say the first trailer that came out for this, we get to see the wasp in action and it's not even a spoiler because we know the wasp was coming. If you if you watch the end credit sequence, you know the wasp was coming. And I will say that I was I was like generally excited because like it had this weird like and it's like this wicked kind of insect-like music. And you get to see her do this crazy gymnastics flip, dodging the knife. But what I love is that you know that this is just like the wasp unleashed and she's the final founding member of the Avengers. So all of them now have got their, their screen time. And she's also uh, the first, I think she's the first female Marvel character to actually get her name in the title.
0: Oh, you're right.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're
0: right. Because Captain Marvel doesn't come for another six months. That's right.
1: And widow and widow is always tied into Iron Man.
0: Yeah. Wow, very interesting. Well done, Wasp. She doesn't get enough credit well, for that. Well done. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> so Love it. We, we start off with a, a flashback, which the Marvel movies tend to do a lot. We start off with the flashback of the old ant and the Wasp. And mm-hmm. I think, I don't know if you agree, but I think this might be the best use of digital de-aging that the MCU has done on Michelle Pfeiffer's face.
1: I mean, you know, if you're going to finally get it right, yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, uh, at the same time, you know, um, Michelle Pfeiffer has aged so gracefully. I mean, they didn't really need to do all that much de-aging, if you ask me. I I'm sure she's listening to this. But um, first of all, she is one of the original actresses that really kind of supported the superhero scene. I, I mean, joining Batman in the sequel... Being and playing probably one of the coolest characters and, and bringing one of the coolest characters to life, which is Catwoman, um, when the uh, when the big block, blockbuster movie scene started really coming into play. And yeah, no, the de aging thing was really, I, I like that they're doing it. Uh, I mean, at the same time, though, it's kind of fun to see them cast other characters to play younger versions of them, like Howard Stark. We got uh, Dominic, um, insert last name here but uh he he uh no he was he was good and i like that he was the younger tony stark but i love that they kept the older actor as well and didn't just like you know play with the aging but i think that with the aging thing to kind of sum up the answer to your question yes it's super cool and i think it's the right kind of age because they Cause like they're in their, I'm going to say late 20s, maybe maybe between late 20s and mid 30s, somewhere in that range. So again, you do want to de-age them a little bit to make them fit the timeline. Uh, and and again, it was cool to see Michelle Pfeiffer in her, you know, Janet Van Dyne mode and what she would look like in what seems, to, I want to say, the late 70s. Or well, it's the Cold War time, so yeah, the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah,
0: and speaking of <laughs> speaking of actors and characters who age and then we get different people to play them this is the last time we see this version of cassie lang and it it breaks my heart a little bit because that kid is adorable man she's so cute she's so great at at how she played cassie and you know moving forward we have an adult cassie now or at least a young adult cassie i'm not sure how old she's supposed to be after the jump but yeah that means we have to say goodbye to this kid. And I just got to salute her. Cause even though she was only in, I think two of these films, she is terrific.
1: Oh yeah. No, she's so good. Um, uh, but actually they even casted another Cassie for the old, the, the next, the next movie.
0: Yeah. She's the, I think it's the girl from the Pokemon movie.
1: Uh, Catherine Newton. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to her, but I've, I'm going to miss this kid. Cause she did a great job. And, uh, she was just, mm-hmm. she's just this ray of sunshine in a movie full of like thieves and, and whatever the hell Darren Cross was. She was just this ray of sunshine that just made us smile. And, uh, we got her for two movies mm-hmm. and I, I'm, it's, it's a shame we won't get her for the third, but that's time travel. What are you going to do? She did she did
1: what she came out to do man she sold uh sold that performance and uh it was so much fun i mean it's that we get that lovely opening scene with uh Scott Lang and and Cassie in the maze i mean oh man the level of the level of you know imagination imagination to create that kind of experience not only that he turned his house into one giant slide you know what kind of dad does that that's crazy did you he ever make stuff house- like that
0: when you were a kid did you guys ever make that, that kind of stuff no we didn't we did not do that we we did do snow
1: forts which mm-hmm. is totally cool outside uh but my mom my mom was a very strict lady when it come to a clean house let me tell you she she loved having a clean house because and And for good reason, because we had guests all the time, a lot of relatives. I come from a big family, so we had a lot of relatives coming in on Saturdays and Sundays and stuff. so my mom wanted a clean house. so I don't think my dad would love to or I don't think my dad would be allowed to build some giant slide that would take us all the way outside the front door.
0: Damn, the relatives <laughs> the relatives would have understood.
1: I mean, i I think they get it. Uh, we did i I will say one time with my cousins, we did turn the basement. Into just one giant Nerf war, so that's yeah. And and in the end, there was a there was a casualty, and that was the poor uh, lamp. So again, you could you could see that. Actually, no, sorry. As as I'm telling these stories, my parents did build me a a Halloween fort. They turned the basement into a Halloween fort one year. One year at our very old house, so it did happen. We did do something once, but it didn't have like a slide.
0: Uh, (laughs) What about you? Um no never none of the adults in my family would would do stuff like that but the closest thing is do you remember those mats that you would get as a little kid where it was like mm-hmm. it was like a carpet and you put it on the ground and it had drawings of like streets and little houses and you would put your toy cars on on the the roads it was like a mat for yep. your toy cars i used to have one of those and i was like this is boring it's just like a fire station and then a house and a parking lot so i got like a bunch of paper and i drew like a 50 or hundred buildings and cut them out and put them up on like the walls so that it would look like my cars were driving in a city. That was the mm-hmm. closest I got to something like that.
1: <laughs> I love it. I mean, there you go. Right. That's the way to do it. It's so good. Um, it's, that's fun. That's fun. I like that. But anyways, you know, dad of the year for that one, for sure. And uh, definitely a really heartfelt moment with world's best grandma. Um, I, I, I love the comedy to it, it really does feel like a Disney Marvel movie, um, with a lot of action adventure. But in the end, it is in in, the, in its core, it's about family, which is a very uh, it was a very Disney attribute.
0: Just like um, Fast and the Furious is about family. <laughs>
1: yeah. Born and drive. With what if that? Maybe
0: that's the next crossover: Fast and the Furious meets Marvel.
1: God, I hope not. I just yeah, I, I hope want hope those not. two to stay as far away as possible from each other. I love Vin Diesel's group. He he's got he's got his role. He's good. We don't need to see freaking uh, Toretto come in doing his superhuman stuff. It's getting ridiculous. Fast and Furious. You know, a lot of people are talking about how it's becoming like a big superhero movie. And I'm like, what? They were about stealing cars. That was the thing. And now he's like he's like holding on to two chains, and like, or the Rock is like holding on to two chains, and like. <laughs> carrying a copter and a truck in his arms. Like, what is that? What is that?
0: And you know, that that's <sighs> baffled me for so long. Cause I've only ever seen fast and furious part one and two. So I keep seeing these trailers and I'm, I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking. I'm like, what the hell? I thought they raced cars. Why are they piloting a tank through the Arctic? And there, there's a submarine trying to kill them. I'm like, what is happening? Who are these people? And d- did you dude.
1: know, <laughs> dude, I could I could go on I could go on and, and and on and and we are known for our tangents on this wonderful podcast Infinity Rewatch which don't forget guys please click on that like button don't forget to leave a comment and don't forget to subscribe to the Rebel Scum Podcast Network cuz there's going to be more we got we still got so much marvel to cover and we're not even done we're oh, not yeah. even finished Rewatch at this point yet <laughs> we're not even we're not even wa- like we're watching WandaVision but we're still rewatching <laughs>
0: Yeah, we thought we would be caught up. We thought the pandemic would give us a chance to catch up to Marvel. Nah, it didn't. It didn't.
1: Kevin Feige's listening. He's like, Yo, I gotta, I gotta get more work out before these guys catch up. <laughs> and uh, here you go. But, uh, but yeah, but going back to Fast and Furious for a second, uh, there's actually a really good video where they talk about the genius that is the Fast and Furious in the sense of how they created superheroes. Because as the movies continue, Toretto gets tougher. But I will say, if you haven't seen, if you've only seen one and two, my friend, you need to watch five and six. Five is when they introduced The Rock and it just picks up. Like, If you're going to throw The Rock in there, the intensity of the movie goes up by like 10,000.
0: Oh yeah, The Rock's going to make everything better. I I have just a, a weird thing, like an OCD thing where I can't skip. Like I can't watch a movie unless I've seen the ones before it. So I would have to watch three and four just so that, it's in my brain, but I know I've been told the same thing by a lot of people. Like five is where it starts to get good, where it starts to get really good. Uh, did you know the crazy thing that Vin Diesel has in his contract about Toretto? Have you heard about his contract? No. His contract states that every time Toretto gets in a fight, he has to give numerically. He has to give more than he gets. So if he gets punched twice in the fight, he has to punch the other guy at least three times, if not more. Vin Diesel's oh ego is all about I have to look better and stronger than everybody else when I'm Toretto.
1: <laughs> oh my god. I mean
0: <laughs> Allegedly, anyway, that's what I've heard. <laughs> Allegedly. Uh
1: you know what? Can't complain. I love Vin Diesel in the end. Don't get me wrong. I just I don't get the Fast and the Furious World. I really don't. I just it's it's messed up, man.
0: Uh, I don't either. It's but up. it is about family, and so is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh and, and- Well, okay
1: yeah so okay i love this i love this cute family scene you know we get this stuff and i love how she calls um uh what's his name uh i only know his actor's name but they uh louise thank you he calls calls him the fuzz and she's like oh no the fuzz like but but uh, this is this is a huge scene because first of all uh lang's foot goes through the fence and uh so
0: the fbi comes to knock in and who do they have mr jimmy woo himself jimmy woo this guy's gonna take over the mcu he's gonna be oh. everywhere
1: he's he's gonna be i think what i love about him is he's the evolution of colson yes. um but- but what's really dope about him is in the comics, he's like, he's actually a very top tier S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Like he's always, he's, he's either running uh, the vault, which is a prison for uh, superheroes, but he's also, sometimes he runs ops for Mandapore, which we'll see in uh, Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So, so it's really cool to see Wu being introduced to this point. They couldn't have picked a better actor. I mean, oh, it's just so good.
0: Yeah, we love Jimmy Wu. I actually forgot a lot about this film because it came out this this came out in July 2018, I believe. Yeah. And the back half of 2018 was a very chaotic time in my life. There was a lot of crap going on. So, I saw it that one time all this chaos happened and then I didn't see it till My rewatch of it for this podcast, like a few weeks back when I watched it. So, so much was reintroduced to me. And one of those aspects was Jimmy Woo. Like I had totally forgotten about how cool this guy was. I just remembered vaguely like, yeah, there's this, this uh, FBI guy who's always kind of hounding him because he's, he's breaking his, his house arrest. But it was such a treat to kind of get to experience Jimmy Woo for the first time twice
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes it's true it's true uh but uh but again i want more i i i am hoping uh at the time of this recording at the time of this recording i think we're we're running near the end and so i'm hoping that he gets asked to join sword because he he's he's learning he's he's quick on uh quick quick study so uh hope here's hoping man fingers
0: crossed Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's definitely going to stick around on S.W.O.R.D. Have they confirmed? Is he is he for sure in Quantumania? Or has that not been uh, confirmed yet?
1: I uh, think that's not been confirmed. I'm going to quickly double check that. But uh, I don't think he's coming back yet. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, like, uh, I know that there's been a lot of talks to do an X-Files-esque uh, an X-Files X uh, uh, Agents of Sword experience mm-hmm. um, and so we could see more Wu in that and and they're pitching that they want Wu to kind of lead it which is cool because I would love to see a more um uh, another and better approach to uh, to doing like an Agents of Shield kind of thing so right now in the bill he hasn't been confirmed yet.
0: Okay. See I would be careful with that that agents of sword show idea, because as much as I would love me some more woo, Mm. I hope they're careful with it because the thing with, with TV shows is if you look back at the history of TV before Netflix came out, you have about 90 bazillion. I think that's the actual number 90 bazillion shows that are just sort of hour long case of the week shows about somebody investigating paranormal stuff I mean, you got your exiles, yeah. you got your fringe you got your person of interest you got like there's so many and i don't want this to just become another one of that uh, yeah so if they do a show that's about agents of sword just keep with the quality they've been doing here and have it affect have it be one big case that affects the mcu not a bunch of cases every up you know not Mm-hmm. Every episode's a new case because then that it gets it just becomes another one of those shows, and I've had my fill of those. Like, we're good, we are good. Well.
1: Yeah, like I think they learned a lot from Agents of Shield, which is a which which was limited because at that point there was two divisions. There was the MCU and then there was the MCU TV series, yeah. which all would use like, Oh yeah, Daredevil, there's the Battle of New York, and that's the last we'll ever hear of the Avengers in the entire Daredevil run. Um so so at this point, I think if they were to do that kind of show, Feige's ahead of it now. So So at this point, they could do an Agents of Swords show, but I agree with you. They have to keep on keep on the path of like leading up to a character being introduced. That's going to really shake up everything. You know what I mean? Like or even still anything they introduce, they have to it has to affect the universe in a big way. Like that's why WandaVision is working right now. It took us it took us a few episodes to get there, but they didn't they didn't they didn't wait that long. They they did not like they gave us some fun. I think week, what was it? Week three, we started getting some answers. And then week four, like all hell's broken loose. Like everything's gone crazy. So again, I, I couldn't agree with you more, but the fact that he's in it. And again, we could see you, with Jimmy Woo, you could do a lot of stories with them, but I already love the the evolution of the character and, uh, and just the genuine nature that is Jimmy. Like he's so good.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's another ray of sunshine too. He's, and mm-hmm. the idea that you know you and Marvel's great at this is usurping the expectations that are just the norm, where you have our guy, our hero, who's under house arrest. So immediately, when your hero's under house arrest, you think like, oh, the big bad feds are going to come and spoil our fun. But then when the feds roll in, it's woo, and we love this guy. We're like, oh. oh, yeah, we're not like, oh, get that jackass out of here, man. He's cramping my style. He'd leave Scott Lang alone. We're not feeling that, even though we're always on Scott's side. We're not feeling like, oh, get this, this guy's awful. We hate him. Uh, th- this character could have very easily been an Agent Hayward character like we got going on in WandaVision, but he's not. He's he's this dude that we're just like, we're rooting for him the whole time, too. And I think that yep. that's a, one of the best storytelling choices Uh, Not only in this movie, but in Marvel in general, like superb, superb.
1: Superb. Again, it's so good. And so Jimmy Woo is the first of uh, many, uh, many uh, characters that are going to be introduced in this show. There's a a few. There's a few. Uh, So let's get let's keep this ball rolling here, my friend. Um, Where are we going from here?
0: He's got he starts having his dream. He starts having his vision, his dream visions that uh, uh, Janet gives him. And uh, the, it prompts him to call Hank Pym and be like, "Hey, I had this dream, man. Hope you're okay. Whatever." I'm uh, very smart of him, by the way, to hide that phone. He hides it in his vent. Uh, and this is just another example of how I love how weird Hank Pym and uh, and his daughter are. Uh, Hank and Hope are they're not, you know, they're very unlike any of the other characters we've come to know and meet in the MCU because. When they get this call, their first instinct without batting an eyelashes, we're going to go drug Scott and kidnap him. Like they they don't want to be caught on any cameras. They don't you know, they're not going to let their voices be heard on a cell phone. They go drug this man and kidnap him. They're so weird. And I love that. They're just these odd screwballs who live out in the woods and stay off the radar.
1: Yeah, they just, they just get it. They, you know, they know, it's funny how they know exactly what to do uh, in a, in a weird situation like that. Uh, but, uh, but again, yeah, they're there are no nonsense group, which is really cool to see. We're seeing, and again, this is a new kind of character archetype that we're seeing that's being introduced within everything. You know, I would say they're kind of parallel to widow, but there's more science to them than, than spy espionage. Um, and we kind of get to see a hilarious poke fun at that a little bit later on, but, um, but yeah, so we get, you know, hope and hope again, now hope gets to be who she wants to be, but now she's, she can't be who she wants to be because, uh, you know, they talk about the events of civil war. And again, I love how they address the question, where was the wasp? And, uh, and, you know, um, and, uh, and the director said they couldn't. (laughs) Russo said they couldn't introduce the wasp because they were doing so many character introductions as it is they didn't want to step on they didn't want to overstep um the wasp's int- introduction with with you know characters alongside like Black Panther and all that so yeah I think that I think that was a smart move because again this is her movie to shine and she does like the movie is pretty much centralized around her and and Scott and and rightfully so just like in the title Um, and she's boss, man. Oh my God. She's so boss. So, so they, uh, they go to meet up with Hank and they talk about this whole quantum entanglement. I love that they keep throwing quantum in terms in front of everything, which is really hilarious. But we get the scene where uh, they, go to the, uh, they go to acquire the special tech. And this is what Ant-Man and the Wasp do. This is what their stories are all about. It's all about getting tech or stopping evil scientists from using certain tech. So it's kind of we're just in the world of Ant-Man and the Wasp as, as it is. And uh, <laughs> I love that we get uh, the introduction of Sonny, who is a Marvel character. Fun fact, he is actually a Marvel thief.
0: Ah, cool. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Sonny, I have his last name written down here. Sonny Birch. Yeah, he's Yeel. played by Walton Goggins in this movie. And Walton Goggins is, is so much fun. Um, yeah. He was uh, he was the secondary villain that we kind of met for this film. And I knew nothing about him. I'm glad to know he's a real character. Um, yep. I hope he shows up again. Cause
1: he he's known for actually being a villain of Iron Man
0: and Ant-Man. So we do, he does cross stories a lot. So down the road, who knows? I'm going to call it right now. Never tell me the odds, Ryan. We see Sonny Birch in Armor Wars.
1: (sighs) You know, I believe it. I believe it. It makes sense. Actually, now that we're in the segment of never tell me the odds, we're going to kind of just jumping in, jumping out. Um, (laughs) I'll do one more for you. If we're talking about Armor Wars, will we see the return of Justin Hammer? Oh, I
0: hope so, man. I, as much as I love Sonny Birch, Justin Hammer is like next level. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. say, I'm gonna say, a hundred percent. We see Justin Hammer in Armor Wars and or Ironheart because those two shows feel like they're going to be very similar. Uh, yeah, he has to come back. He has no. to come back. Yeah,
1: I mean, good. I. Yeah, no, he's a great character, but I think well actually, but Sonny does mention that his benefactors, he never actually mentions who he works for, but he does mention some unknown benefactors that are interested in Ant-Man's tech. And the only one I can think of that would be remotely interested would be Justin Hammer, because he's trying to get back off the ground after uh after, after being, this whole thing.
0: Uh after being uh turned into a, a cellmate of some large man, as we saw in that short film. Uh, yeah. yeah, the 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 Sunny thing, the Sunny Birch thing really was left open-ended. And I want to know more. There's there's seeds planted there. You can you can see it all happening. Uh so I really hope you're right. I really hope Justin Hammer's involved, because I will be dope. Uh and it just to, to see both of those actors again, because they're both great. Uh, so uh, on the way to this heist that they pull where they're about to meet Sunny Birch, Hank Pym pulls out. One of my favorite props in the MCU. He pulls out the Hot Wheels carousel. <laughs> he's got all his cars shrunk in there. This is the stuff that I want to see more of in these Ant-Man movies is just have as much fun as you can with the fact that this guy makes stuff small and sometimes big. But have all the fun with that because uh, that yeah. carousel just... Oh, that, that gave me so much joy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I agree. Like, but that's what I love is like at this point, Marvel can really just deep dive man. like just deep dive into all this weird kind of Marvel ventures. And what I love about Ant-Man and the Wasp is how much they play around with shrink tech. Like it's, it's amazing. The, the use of Pym Particles in this movie and the possibility, the different possibilities of using them. So, um, you know, I love that, that, Uh, Scott wakes up in the car and they're in the shrunken car. And then all of a sudden, you know, we see the giant pigeon, like, just like, you know, just poking fun at it. But, uh, but the fight scene in the restaurant is just pure Marvel glory that, you know, I, we introduced uh, recently the Marvel moment. Um, I'm going to throw that in there right away. That fight scene in the restaurant, like wasp kills it. Like, there's a lot of really cool flashy moves, a lot of crazy roundhouse kicks. Uh, and then they introduced it in the trailer, but you see her using the widow stings, which is really cool. Mm. Um, that I, I was a bit worried that they wouldn't use it, uh, but I'm glad that right away they just showed off her using these blasters. It's wicked.
0: That scene, um, th- there's two scenes in this movie that regardless of how much I had forgotten of it, these two scenes are, stuck with me a hundred percent and this was one of them this fight yeah within this lobby uh looks like some fancy hotel lobby or, or something or and and there there's the table set up uh for like the, the restaurant portion and there's that big chandelier and just you know she's fighting with these dudes and then along comes ghost ghost joins the fray and it's yep. just like i and you know me you know how much i love um Actually, I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast. I talk about it a lot on uh, Rebel Scum Podcast. But I love when it's not just the good team versus the bad team. I love when there's a third faction in there. And that's exactly the third party. Yeah. yeah. And she is a terrifying. She is so scary. Tell me about Ghost. Tell me about what, what her deal was in the comics. What's Ghost's deal? Because when I saw her in that trailer, I was like, ouch, I'm scared.
1: Well, okay, so I'm going to quickly answer your question because again, I know I'm notorious for tangents, so I'm just going to yes. So Ghost in the Comics is your thief. All the villains hire Ghost to go steal things because Ghost can literally walk through walls. Um it kind of they kind of never really deep dive too much into Ghost's power. It's just kind of one of those things in the comics where Ghost can do it and Ghost says, "Oh, I have the ability to phase through." And that's and they'll explain like the science of it, but they'll never explain really how Ghost Gets the powers, um, but Ghost is usually you're kind of. I don't want to say. I don't want to say it in in the idea that I don't want you guys to relate this character to this Rogue Gallery, but this character is a very Spider-Man kind of esque villain where it's all about Robin Banks and getting the dough. Like that's what this character's for. But this character, because of the intangibility that the character can do um which just fun side note doesn't need to be a big thing but the character is usually uh, a male in in the comics and this time they decided to uh make uh make ghost a female which i have no problem with that the actress killed it as ghost being weird and cool all at the same time um and uh yeah the character uh so the character is yeah just like you're kind of low level uh, thug and thief, but um, would steal things a lot for Mr. Dr. Doom.
0: Ooh, he's a big meanie too. So he mm-hmm. makes sense to hire somebody like her. It's funny you say that, that she is um, a Spider-Man-esque villain because mm-hmm. I remember the first, when when they were releasing promotional stills for Ant-Man and the Wasp, the first still they released of Ghosts to be like, here's our reveal. Here's how Ghost looks. I believe it was her walking out of a building with something she had stolen. And she's like looking around. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that, I remember having that thought, like this feeling of comfort and familiarity. I was like, this feels like a villain I would have grown up with. And I didn't realize it t- until right now, when you brought up that Spider-Man connection, like that's why it's she has that. It's, it's that type of villain that the MCU hasn't done too much of. Uh, with the exception of the Spider-Man movies themselves, to see that again, it it kind of, it made sense. As soon as I saw that, something in my head clicked and it was so subliminal that I didn't even put these pieces together. But yeah, she's Mm. definitely, like you could totally see Spider-Man fighting her. It wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility at all
1: yeah and and again she uh she i think would be a great villain to bring back i think that's kind of a great character to to kind of just to use in any situation and it's a great thug level character i think it's really fun uh and they gave her a great story in this one um so what's cool about ghost though and what i love what marvel does is i love how marvel designs powers in in their mcu movies and ghost it's really cool because you kind of actually get a sample of what where the whole MCU is going which is you kind of get the different universes because the way ghost does it is when ghost walks through something you see like at least several different ways of how she would overcome the obstacle but and and one of those ways being that she just literally phases through it But for example, when she goes through a door, you see one like running and pushing the door open, one slowly opening the door and one opening one side of the door. So there's, you see like kind of the parallel or the uh, infinite universes, all the different possibilities all happening at once, which was
0: really, really cool. Yeah. That's a visual power. That's like, it's, it's made to be shown like this. Like, I feel like in a comic, that power would get kind of lost in translation. I'm sure they'd find mm-hmm. a cool way to do it if you had a, a talented enough artist, which all comics seem to have. Uh, but like, there's just something about seeing it moving, like you see it here. Ah, oh, you can't, you can't top that. So I'm, I think that was, I would bet you any money, Ryan. That's their primary reason for picking such a strange, offbeat, left of center villain. Is like, yeah, look, look what this ghost can do. Like, imagine showing that on the big screen with our. You know our giant Marvel budgets. Imagine what we can do with that character. So I'm really. Doing oh yeah. that picture.
1: I'm gonna. I'm just gonna add one more thing to that too, which is, um, which is, I from what I saw from my interview with Kevin Smith was he was talking to the writers, the MCU writers who lead the writing team, um, the two, the two guys we usually talk about, and uh, they were saying that uh, like the way it works is they'll actually have like these kind of small stories built for these characters and they, they essentially have to sell it to Kevin Feige. They have to sell the idea that this, this villain will work because X, Y, and Z. And, uh, and the, the funny story about that is, is, and I'm interested to see if we'll see this in Falcon, the winter soldier. But uh, the guy was like, Oh yeah, we have one guy on our team. He's been trying to get union Jack on, in the MCU. And everyone started laughing and, and cause like they were talking about the struggle of like civil war and trying to get that movie like written because there's so many things happening. And then as they're writing civil war, Kevin Feige would go by and be like, okay, just, you know, if you can just, you know, start writing some stuff for Spider-Man just to, like, just play around with how Spider-Man can be introduced in this movie. And he's like, but don't tell anyone. And, uh, And don't say anything just yet, just just do it, right? And they're so they're so they're confused and they just go about their business of trying to write Spider-Man in this already super packed film. And uh, and then he walked by and they said that he never said officially that they approved it, that they approved that Spider-Man would be in the film, but he walked by and did the 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 web shooting gesture, which they guess meant that it was a (laughs) go-ahead. So when they were talking about Union Jack, that everyone started laughing about, like, oh yeah, this writer's been trying to introduce Union Jack in like all these movies, and everyone's laughing. And he's like, "Don't laugh." He's almost figured it out. So I think the the reason why I'm telling the story is is like this. It's probably the same with Ghost. They have these great characters in mind. They're just trying to find the right time to use them. And Ghost is a perfect character for Ant Man of the Wasp because the movie's theme is all about heists and thiever, thievery. So, why not have a villain who's also really good at being a thief?
0: Yeah. And I love that method of storytelling because, you know, if you were to sit me down in the writer's room and be like, okay, you have 75 plus years of Marvel history, mm-hmm. what are you picking and choosing from? I'd be overwhelmed. So, I love that idea of just focusing character by character and thinking, how can I make this work? today, especially if it's an older character, and how can I make it work in the construct of the MCU that already exists? And Mm -hmm. it feels like such a really uh interesting way to do it too, because it creates spontaneity and it makes it so that the audience can never really predict what's gonna happen. Like the the whole thing with Black Widow, where we thought for a second that we were gonna get the thing, right? We thought it was gonna be Ben Grimm in the in Black Widow's movie. Mm -hmm. And that idea makes sense to us because of this method, because they're thinking, OK, we have this character, we have Ben Grimm. Um, instead of waiting for the Fantastic Four movie, because that's how they would have done it, you know, in the, back in like the turn of the century when they weren't really sure how to make these movies yet. Let's find a way to introduce him somewhere else because nobody's going to walk into the black widow movie and expect to see a member of the fantastic four. Nobody's going to walk into Dr. Strange two and expect to see, you know, carnage. But what if carnage is in Dr. Strange two? Like that is a, is such a cool way to weave this all together and keep us on our toes.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's, 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 it's a really smart way. And because, And again, before, I think just before the Black Widow movie, um, we weren't really familiar with how they were going to approach these Disney Plus series kind of thing. Um, Really, Mandalorian was like the pioneer of how you could tell a story in in an interconnected way. Um, And so Marvel, I think now, and, and I think Kevin Feige has always had an idea, but now he has he has a proof of execution with the Mandalorian. So with that being said, and he and Kevin Feige has mentioned many times now, he's like, you have to kind of watch the shows now because there will be characters introduced in the shows, which we've already seen Mm -hmm. now will be in movies. So if you just decide, if you're someone who's just watching the movies, you're going to ask yourself, where did this character come from? And now you have to go and and find where the character came from. Because for Captain Marvel 2, if you haven't seen WandaVision, then you're not going to know who uh, who Spectrum is.
0: Yeah, that, and that is beautiful to me. It's it's just a, a colorful box of chocolates. And it's not, you know, I'm walking into an Iron Man film, so I'm only going to get Iron Man characters. And that's it. We've moved past that. And I'm so happy we have. Uh, And and speaking of introducing new characters, we get another one after this fight with the ghost. We get the Goliath. And it's my boy, Lawrence Fishburne. Love this man. I will never not love watching Lawrence Fishburne act. His voice, man. I wish I had his voice. I wish I sounded like Lawrence Fishburne. I wish I could do the laugh he does in John Wick, where he's like, I can't can't even do it justice. I can't.
1: I... I I love Lawrence Fishburne, what he did for the matrix, man. Like, uh, it's just such an incredible role. And, and the way he approached those lines, like, Oh man, just, just beautiful. And so it's funny because, uh, I remember the reference that people were talking about. He's actually trying to talk about quantum. And he's trying to talk about like how the quantum world works. Essentially. Um and so yes we get introduced to Ben Foster aka Goliath um uh, who is the first hero to take the pin particles and and obviously instead of shrinking you grow um which is a perfect way and again it's is playing in the modernization of characters right like what we've been talking about and it's so brilliant how they introduce this character and and introduce more of the history of Ant-Man um, which is important, and and Peyton Reed, I have to give him props because he continues, continues to, um, he continues to drop all these huge comic book nods without saying that he's like, oh, like without being like, oh, I'm a big comic fan. Here's my reference, like slapping you in the face with it, um, like like some other comic book directors will do. But in this case, he's just like, OK, well, if you know your comics, you should know who Ben Foster is. And and, and we'll we'll throw a little timbit for you. But you you now know that we're following like the massive history of, of Hank Pym. So it was really nice to see that. And I love that. He's like, I I love that scene. It's a small scene, but speaks to the depth of the character, which is like. I, uh, he's like, I worked on, um, I worked with Hank Pym on a project called Goliath and he's like, Oh, and talked about, they talked about sizes, which was again, a love, just a lovely comedic, uh, lovely comedic writing. Uh, but it's what's funny is, uh, the other thing about the school scene I want to point out is it does play to the old, uh, the old, uh, incredible Hulk movie, uh, because, uh, an incredible Hulk, uh, um banner uh tries to hide by uh wearing a hat and uh and like i think he does wear sunglasses so he kind of does the Mm -hmm. hat and sunglasses thing so i I love how scott lang is like i hate these disguises what are we just ourselves in hats and sunglasses (laughs) (laughs) like it's a great it's a great little jab um and if i'm not mistaken i believe that school is the same school uh that um uh, no, wait, nope, sorry, nope, don't don't quote me on that, uh, I'm going to backpedal. It almost looked like the same school they uh, that uh, Banner went to, but obviously not the same location, but I think it's supposed to be the same school.
0: Uh, um, I, well, Banner was, I think he was at Queens University, he was in New York, and these guys are San Diego, they're West Coast. So yeah, I don't yeah, that's right, so I almost remember, had a moment there. I did remember hearing a rumor, and it might even have been you who said this rumor to me, that Reed Richards and Victor Von Doom are in that audience at that lecture because what he's that, talking it, about is what the, the kind of stuff that they are specialists in. Uh
1: no, that rumor, the rumor and theory was is that that they were at the MIT college. Yes. Uh, yes. yeah, for the Civil War. Uh because that explains why the Baxter building gets bought uh or or uh why the Avengers Tower gets bought and turns of what 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 will probably be the baxter building but i mean it's it's possible i mean they could be there it's i i wouldn't even discount that either because you're right they do play around with that kind of stuff so
0: yeah that that definitely makes more but sense. it begs
1: the question though how old do you how old do we think reed richards and uh and doom is are are gonna be right because in my opinion they would they, i again i think marvel kind of plays in that age gap of like early to i'm gonna say late 20s to like mid 30s depending on the character but it's roughly in that age range that they try to strive for yeah
0: i'm still hoping that they're from the 60s and they just ended up here that would be so much more fun Uh, but it was so nice to meet uh, it was so nice to meet goliath and they even threw us a little bone in the costuming department too because goliath never gets you know his suited up his superhero costume in this movie he's Pretty much plain clothes, but they were nice enough in the wardrobe to give us the colors, to give us the the dark blue and the black that Goliath wears when he's in his superhero outfit. Uh, I think he had yeah. blue on for this whole movie. Uh, it's it's just the little things like that, right? It's uh, it's the little things that that uh, the little effort, uh, like the kind of effort that wasn't made by the wardrobe department of X Men Origins Wolverine by putting Gambit in a black coat. Like that's <laughs> that's the opposite of effort. That's the yeah. There's not even a word for how little effort that was. So this, I love this. I love that Lawrence Fishburne was just rocking a blue shirt the whole time. It's like they know, they know, they know. We're on the same page.
1: They, they, Uh, yeah, they got it. They got it. But, uh, but I will also say too um, that he he in the class is talking about uh, multiple dimensions, the possibility of the possibility of uh, different dimensions as well as, as the quantum quantum mechanics in terms of yeah seeing seeing infinite universes so marvel's been playing this theme way before endgame comes around so as the uh and i will say even in thor dark world uh they talk about alignment of parallel universes and he's banging the shoes and and what the the whole thing does. So Marvel's been hinting at this since the the very beginning. But to play on your uh, to play on your introduction of comic book characters, when we're introduced to Ghost's backstory, we actually get a reference to another comic book character. Um, her dad is Elias Starr, which is Egghead, the uh, which is a big Ant Man villain.
0: Oh, I don't know him. I know that there's a Batman villain named Egghead from the '60s TV show, and I think Vincent yeah. Price played him. But I didn't know about this. Tell me about Egghead.
1: Uh, just a just a guy who builds weird tech and um uh, and takes on Ant-Man. and that's that's, that's what he's famously known known for. What
0: does he have a bald head?
1: He actually has a head that's shaped like an
0: egg. Ooh, so he's like Dan Aykroyd in Coneheads
1: yeah yeah i would i would say that except the cone's not as tall um but yeah her dad is is his name is elias star and uh and they do talk about that so we got another comic book character and then uh the character who's the fbi agent who seems to be getting all these anonymous tips that uh that uh, they know where hank pym is um he is also a comic book character his name is jeffrey ballard
0: Jeffrey Ballard. Wow. I got to start writing these down because, yeah, you're right. We are meeting a lot of people. A lot of people show up here. All mm-hmm. right. Jeffrey Ballard, huh? Yeah. Uh,
1: Jeffrey Ballard, Elias Star, Ben Foster. Um, who else? Ghost? <laughs> I don't know. Ghost is real name, but we'll leave it as Ghost.
0: Yeah. Ghost is fine. Yeah. And uh, ben, ben Foster gets to be called Goliath. Cause he's too cool yeah. to not be called Goliath. Wow. Uh, and then we, when we, uh, when we leave Goliath, when mm-hmm. we leave the university, we get to this little, um, the, the elementary school heist. Yes. That they yep. pull. And oh yes.
1: It's a classic scene. I,
0: I want to know, and I, maybe it's in the special features and I just haven't watched those yet, but I'm curious, how do you think they did the special effect where, scott gets shrunk where he's not quite big enough to be a kid but not quite small enough to, you know when he when he shrunk like that i was trying to figure it out he's like three feet tall i'm like did they do that with force perspective did they do it with cgi was it an oversized set they built around him what do you think they did Or, or is it already spelled out on the dvd and i just have to watch it
1: i think it's on the dvd i don't remember i don't remember the official one but i'm gonna go based on what i remember it being i think that they created a um i want to say forced perspective uh and then the scene when he's trying to get the backpack that's when they built like a bigger set so the hallway it's it's forced perspective, and when he's in the room it's a it's they actually built a massive room,
0: okay, so it was a nice little combination of stuff,
1: yeah it was, yeah. It was a combination of techniques i don't, I can't remember for sure, but I feel like that's how they did it
0: because it looked really funny and it didn't look like there was a whole lot of computers in play. that's why I was a bit curious mm-hmm. um, yeah. it, it's 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 a very specific choice of, of, yes, let's have Scott shrunk exactly this high so that he looks exactly this ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I, I like that they were brave enough to try that choice. And then they, they pulled it off really well with the effects. And it feels like old school kind of effects, like trickery and, 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 and mm-hmm. the different sets and things like that. So I, I was, I'm happy that they made it look the way they made it look. Yeah,
1: I love the uh, I love the joke Hank Pym has where he's like, "Hey, hey, Tacker, how was school today?" (laughs) And he's like, ha-ha. and he's like, "Ooh, somebody needs a juice box."
0: Do
1: you (laughs) (laughs) you actually have that? Um, No, it's it's so I I, again the relationship these characters have created makes them just so personable, and it's fun to be along for the ride of that. Yeah, Um, yeah, and then we get to uh, we get to the fun. Thing where they uh they figure out where the lab is after it's taken, uh, we get to go to kind of Ghost in Ben. F- I think it's Ben Foster's place. Obviously, it's got to be Ben Foster's place. Um, and uh, I love how this whole movie though he's he's evading the FBI with with the ant wearing the uh the uh the, the, the anklet the uh
0: yeah
1: the, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but I'm just gonna call it the anklet. Uh, anyway. But yeah, that's it's funny how that's all going on there, and uh, and and tr- and Scott trying to have to keep that illusion going, right? Like with the with the call at Ben Foster's place. Uh, so that was really cool. Love that scene. Um, and we get the Altoids thing, uh, which was pretty neat. How he broke out, pretty clever to have the ants all packed away in there. Pretty neat way to get out.
0: Yeah, and like just like mm-hmm. the the. The idea of having them looking for the lab, everybody wants the lab. Uh, It's it's a a very common trope in films, especially action films, where you have something, uh, a a term that Alfred Hitchcock coined, I believe, called the MacGuffin. The the item, that it's the important item that everybody wants is the MacGuffin. Uh, Whether it's the one ring or whether it's the the Death Star plans inside R2. Uh, I love, again, it's such a beautiful way to take You know, you're take your script and adapt it in a way that takes full advantage of what this is about, which is a guy who shrinks and stuff, where the MacGuffin is the actual laboratory that has been shrunk down. Like, Mm. isn't that perfect?
1: So good. I actually did know that, that it's called the MacGuffin and that uh, it was quoted by Alfred, Hitch- H- Alfred Hitchcock.
0: I think Hitchcock came up with that term. I could be wrong. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. any kind of object uh, that plays an importance in a film. And sometimes it's not even object like John Connor in Terminator 2. He's the MacGuffin because everybody's after him. Uh, uh, it's, it's about protecting him so sometimes it's not an object but more often than not it is and i love the idea now of making it a place a full-on place because places can be shrunk down um and we we uh we would be remiss not to mention ant-man's buddies scott's buddies, yes his, his yeah. trio of, of friends um who i i realized something about one of them about david das who plays the russian guy whose character's name escapes me. Baba
1: Yaga. (laughs) Baba Yaga.
0: He he has an interesting trifecta going on here. Um, Remember how we were talking before about how Andy Serkis is, I think, the only actor who's been in Marvel, DC, Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, David Dasmalchian, he has an interesting little resume like that. Not quite that staggered and impressive, but listen to this. So he is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Ant-Man. Uh, not as Ant-Man, but as Ant-Man's buddy there. Um, then on top of that, he is about to be in the DC Cinematic Universe as the Polka Dot Man in the next yep. Squad movie. Yeah. And then on top of that, he's in the DC Television Universe where he was on The Flash playing the villain Abracadabra. Wow. This guy gets around, man. He is the superhero equivalent of Andy Circus.
1: I do love Abracadabra as a character. He's a fun one, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's that's awesome, man. He got the trifecta thing going on. Uh, I loved his running gag in this one, the the Baba Yaga. Uh, <laughs> it was actually really good, and then the truth serum. Oh, that was really oh, good wow. too. Uh, love that scene, which that, is coming that, up.
0: I, I oh yeah, that's coming up. I'm not going to get to it yet, um, mm. but uh, yeah, the the um, the whole. The, the, those three guys doing their thing and trying to start a legitimate business. Um, and I love their, uh, I love how everybody freaks out during that interrogation when Ghost appears in the room and she's like, oh, so that's where they are. And everybody's like, yeah. oh, Jesus. <laughs> and <they> <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, we can talk about it. So, so uh, of course, there's a, there's a, this big MacGuffin going on about the lab. Where's the lab? Um, so they're getting the lab all set up. The quantum entanglement works. Um, I do love the trio because I, what I love is, is when a running gag is done right. Uh, mm-hmm. There are times when the running gag kind of plays up too much. Uh, and I'm curious to see if in the third one, we'll see anything with the running gag. But... For example, a bad example uh, or an overplayed example is in Pirates of the Caribbean um, is the whole where why is the rum gone? Yes. Uh, the, the first time it was done, it was absolutely hilarious because the context of the scene is the one thing that kept him alive and like kept him sane was the rum and then and on top of that, the rum ended up to the rum traders. and then he stuck on the island with with the uh, with uh, Elizabeth. And the first thing she does on the island is burns the rum. And she talks about the logic of why she did it. And his response, his immediate response is, why is the rum gone?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why is the rum gone?
1: (laughs) Um, And in the second one, it still works because the second one, it's like, um, the second one, he's he's looking for rum. He's like, oh, why is the rum gone? And then he meets, you know, uh bootstrap bill and that's a it's still a fun running gag but mm-hmm. then like they do it every single movie and it gets to a point where he says it so exhaustingly that we the audience feels the same exhaustion because there's no evolution of the joke it's just why is the rum gone why is he always not having alcohol and it's like why like why do we care like you know what i mean yeah um and in this one though i love the running gag because <laughs> because again the the context of the joke is is that Hank doesn't want to deal with these guys. they're just like the absolute they're they're not they're not supposed to be the last resort. there's supposed to be no resort to go <laughs> to them. There's no need to do it um and and the the evolution of the joke in this one is is they literally have no choice they have legit nowhere to go but to this place <laughs> it's so funny and that's why the joke where he's like no no <laughs> and he goes to do it it's it's priceless but that's that's when a running gag i think works really well um and we kind of see a couple evolutions of it we see the baba yaga joke and then we also see the truth serum joke where where the uh, the truth serum is applied later on so i do love seeing the friends um, and then the undercarriage, the undercarriage joke that plays out through the movie as well.
0: Yeah, I'm, I love, I unapologetically love the first three Pirates of the Caribbean's movies, all three mm. of them. Like I love them so much and I love running jokes, but I a hundred percent agree with you. The rum joke got out of hand to the point where it was like embarrassing on when they were, by the time you got to the third movie and they made the rum joke, I was kind of cringing. I'm like, why did you make mm. that joke? Um, but, oh, I love Pirates 1, 2, and 3. Love them. Uh, but... Like,
1: like an evolution, an evolution of that joke would have been, like, like, for example, in the second one, uh, I think it's because he breaks out and gets the key, right? He gets the key for the, the, the dead man's chest. He, um...
0: um, Why does he say? He's, he's, he's in his, his captain's quarters alone, and I think he's looking at his map, and he's scared because he knows Davy Jones is coming, so he's been drinking. yeah. And then he asks, like, he, he looks at his bottle and he's like, why is the rum gone? And he stands up and, and sways and realizes he's totally plastered. And he's like, oh, that's why.
1: Right. So, so it's, it's, not a, it's not a graceful evolution of it. But, like, for example, if, like, they had to sacrifice their ship again for something. Like, you remember how they had to drop the cannonballs and, like, throw everything yeah. just so they can get speed? Like, the, the, the evolution of that joke would be, is the rum gone? Like, his is it gone? Did you get rid of it? Like, like that would be funny. But the, literally, the the the, re, the repetition of the line of "Why is the rum gone?" or "Why is the rum gone?" Uh, then, like, we get it, we get it. Like, does it? But in this one, it's it's evolved because again, he's just like, no, like he <laughs> he's stuck to have to go back to them. It's so good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to to, hard end, uh, to horn it in on this, but it has to be said because this show this. This uh, Marvel character is is in a comedy. It's a heist comedy, so clearly the running gag is a very strong part of this storytelling. So that's why I have to horn it in on this because you got to be real careful with running gags.
0: Yeah, pirates did it. Uh, p- pirates handled it the wrong way. They handled it like the the Bart Simpson "I didn't do it" way, where mm-hmm. they, they they made this this gold and everybody laughed at it. And they didn't understand why people laughed at it. All they understood was we're getting laughs. Keep saying that, and you know Bart keeps saying I didn't do it. And then eventually everybody's like, you know, nobody's (laughs) nobody's laughing at him anymore. And bad comedy writing fails to understand that. And when it comes to to running jokes in comedy, it usually adheres to not always, but it usually adheres to the rule of three. The rule of three is is huge in comedy. And in a case of a running joke, it would be. You do it once to set it up and be like, wow, here's this joke. You do it a second time to set it up as a pattern so everybody understands the rules of the pattern. And then when you do it a third time, you break the rules of the pattern. And the joke comes from us, the audience, taking delight in seeing those rules broken. So in the case of this, where it's like, let's say, for example, Luis and his storytelling, which is a running joke. We saw
1: Oh, it that's such a good running game too.
0: Right? So we see it happen in Ant-Man 1 and Ant-Man 2. If we get it again in Ant-Man 3, which I think everybody is kind of expecting, you need to break the rules so that we can laugh not at the joke because we've already seen it twice. And I guarantee you if they just do it the same way, it's not going to be as mm-hmm. funny. But if they do it in a way that breaks the rules, then you can get a lot of laughs. And like off the top of my head, the best way I can think of is like, what if? Hope gets super drunk and she tells a story and she's like, okay, listen, listen, Scott. So the other day I was in this bar right? and there was this guy and he was like, what's up, girl? You're so fine. And, and they do it all, but it's Hope telling the story. We would be in the aisles. We'd be rolling yeah. in the aisle. We'd be laughing so hard. So if they can break the rules, if they can find a way to do it that way, boom, they're set.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I I love the true serum joke. Again, this is a great evolution of the running gag yes. because they give Louis the true serum and he tells the story. Oh man, it's so, so
0: funny. I have to um, write down I have to write down my favorite line in the whole movie where he's talking about when Scott meets Hope. He says, Hope was like, I want nothing to do with you. Look at my hairdo, I'm a business. <laughs>
1: it's so good it's so good so i i I agree with you so of course like the key to the 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 third rule is you want to subvert expectations so you want the setup to feel like it's going the same way but i I totally agree with you The, the funniest evolution of it would be if hope tells the story for whatever reason right um or uh or like, like Luis was a part of the, for example, Luis was a part of the last sequence, the last action sequence which you're getting to. Um, and as he's about to tell someone the story, someone jumps in and tells the story for him right and like does the does the same structure so again you want the you want the setup to be like it's feeling like it's going the same way then you do something completely different and you subvert expectations um i will say the best comedy group that gets that and does it extremely well with the running gag is uh key and peel those guys are incredible incredible running gag guys
0: absolutely those guys they've got it down to a science and i think actually there was um There's a video, an interview somewhere where Keegan-Michael Key explains, like he almost scientifically breaks down how a running joke works. And he does it so much more eloquently than I could ever do. I'm not even going to try to quote him, but Mm -hmm. uh, they, you're right. They're great at it. And um, another cool example of that is Anchorman. We got that in Anchorman one, you got that big fight. That was like one of the highlights of the film and everybody's wondering, like when, when Anchorman two comes, everybody's like, are we getting another fight? And it it kept building and building. You think we're not getting it, and then at the climax, at the very end of the movie, we get it. And not only do we get it, but we get it bigger. And all of a sudden, there's like supernatural shit happening. Like one of the characters is literally a minotaur. Like it it just it defies the expectations. So yeah, the I, I ghost of
1: Stonewall Jackson. <laughs> yeah,
0: and he just blows <laughs> air. <laughs>
1: yeah but that that was really good so we get into the action sequence a little bit here so sunny sunny loses his patience with louise in the best the best way and he's like he's like i'm getting there i'm getting there i'm telling you emotionally speaking he's like emotionally speaking tell me where he is actually speaking like i love that it's so good um and so, uh, so yeah, they talk about the undercarriage joke, which we get later on. Again, a nice little running gag. Um, so Ghost comes in. And, again, we get the intensity of Ghost. But we also get the acknowledgement of the relationship that Sonny gets his information from the FBI agent. Uh, but this is something small that speaks volumes. So the FBI agent runs to Jimmy. And what is Jimmy doing? He's trying the magic trick. Yeah. And so already we kind of see the evolution of Jimmy's character and how good he is at, at at kind of being a detective kind of if you if you will like he gets into the mind of the character right so I love that he's trying the magic trick and then the guy interrupts him he's like oh and again another great evolution of the running gag because we do see him later on really pull it off like pretty amazing like so I I think that Scott does inspire jimmy in a way like i don't know in terms of someone someone who's a writer like yourself i don't know how you would perceive that but uh but it seems like the the subtext of the character as we when we did text analysis it seems like he's almost inspired by scott lang in, in a way of speaking
0: oh 100 man like even when you know when you get to that final car chase and jimmy woo is pointing a gun at ant-man and saying like come on scott give it up you never get the sense that Wu disrespects Scott Lang or you never get the sense that Wu is is against what Scott Lang stands for. You get the sense that Wu understands exactly what Scott's deal is and he understands the events of Ant-Man 1 and the events of Civil War and and Wu gets that, he's not stupid. And you Mm -hmm. always get the sense that he's doing this because it's his job not because he feels it's the right thing to do. He's like, I'm sorry, Scott, I got to check your ankle bracelet. I got, you know, so you're yeah. right. It's it's all about him uh having this, almost idolizing this guy and thinking like, wow, he's really cool. uh, And trying to learn the tricks like him because Wu, Wu can tell right from wrong. Plain and simple. He can yeah. tell right from wrong.
1: Well, he, he explains it. I think him explaining it to Cassie also explains his respect for Scott because he talks about how, you know, he's like, well, your school has rules, right? And, you know, like no writing on the wall. But, you know, mm. your dad went to Germany and wrote on the walls with Captain America. <laughs> so I love that how he explains it to Cassie. First of all, brilliant. But I think it also speaks volumes to he shows that he respects Scott Lang, like you said. But but unfortunately thing things have rules but he knows scott's a good person which we see in the end when he asked him to go to dinner he's like would you do you want to hang out like like i love that like comedy but like he knows he's a good person but there are rules and and in order he he must hold up those rules and hold scott to those rules so we kind of get to see that. And I, I absolutely love that. So the magic thing, I love that. It's something small that speaks volumes to the character. Uh, and then going back to the heat of the story, um, they kind of almost allude to the possibility that it may they may not be able to rescue Michelle Pfeiffer. Like it could have been easily a character that she could have sacrificed um something and they they like may have got a glimpse of her, but you know, she might've been left there. Uh, so take a stretch back for a minute. Um, so we're in the heat of this. They get the the whole heist thing going and they get their, they get uh, Scott breaks them out of the FBI. They have to get the lab. They have to do all these things. And I love how Scott talks about the list. He's like, Oh, you know, my dad always said we should make a list. Uh, we get this incredible heist plan, which again, we got the, the beautiful heist plan again, uh, evolving the heist plan. Uh, and so, Uh, Hank gets to go in and go into the quantum realm. We kind of get a nice little nod to his older suit, the way kind of has these big blocks on his chest, uh, which was really cool to see. And, um, the, again, the fight scene with ghost is just incredible. The car chase is so good. The music is amazing. Talk about a great movie soundtrack to capture the atmosphere and tone of the, the, the chase. Um, I loved, I love the the use of the pin particles making the Pez dispenser big yeah. and knocking the guys off the motorcycle. I love how Ghost fights. Um, we see her get onto the motorcycle uh, and do the drop kick through the window. Great fight scene, so much fun. A lot of Marvel moments in that as well. Yeah, and that's I love my to...
0: favorite car scene in the MCU because it has so yeah. many moving pieces. There's so much mm. going on. There's there's Ghost. There's Sunny. There's, uh, you know, Luis and Wasp and A-Man and they're all doing different things and some things are growing and some things are shrinking. It's, it's what I want in a fight scene. All of it is what I want in a fight scene.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it speaks back to earlier, um, you know, talk about running gags, but it speaks back to earlier, your, your rule of fighting that makes fighting interesting is that you have three parties all fighting at once, like three factions, all fighting for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the fight scene is amazing. And then, so, Hank goes to go after Janet uh, into the quantum realm. And in so when he finds her, uh, he, she says that, oh, this world has changed her. And they look around, and you can kind of see a city in the background. hmm So there's been a lot of conspiracy theories on this. A lot. So we've talked about it in the past, and in the past, Ant-Man, I think. And so that was kind of... Some people think it's it's uh, the Inhumans yeah. in the negative zone kind of thing. Um, uh, other people kind of believed it was the Fantastic Four, and they just kind of built this city as they're trapped in trapped in uh, in the quantum world. Uh, now the new theory is is that it is Kang the Conqueror uh, that is stuck in the quantum realm because there's a deleted scene where Janet asks for permission to cross a certain spot. And it just kind of feels like Kang and, and kind of feels like just Kang in the way she's asking for permission and everything seems formal and royal. So there seem, that seems to be where it is heading and uh, where it is going as well.
0: Wow, that's, I've never watched that deleted scene. So she just like asks out into the void, like, may I cross and
1: no she has a radio she has a radio and she messages them
0: oh okay still that's that's really eerie like obviously that scene was written and filmed like mm-hmm. they had somebody in mind there so that's really cool i gotta watch these deleted scenes i really haven't dived into those too much um, yeah. maybe yeah, i don't know what else that city could be i like the kang idea um i don't know what city Annihilus is from when Christine Everhart becomes Annihilus which will happen maybe she ends up in the quantum realm I don't know but uh, mm-hmm. this, this journey into the quantum realm is really cool for me because that is the second image Ryan like that I mentioned earlier that I will never forget from Man and the Wasp and it is that image of Hank Pym goes into the quantum realm and he gets out of his like moon buggy thing and he takes off his helmet and he looks around he's wearing that suit it looks like the cover of a pulp Science fiction novel, like it, it looks like just one of those old covers, like it that would be called like "Voyage to the Unknown," you know, just some, uh, one of those. <laughs> and I love the look of that so much. Um, and fun fact: those things he sees when he shrinks, those big yeah. worm things, those are real, those are real yeah. I forget what they're called. They have a very long name, I think, but uh, yeah. they are legit real. And I, if I remember right, what I read about them was they're so stalwart like these things if a nuclear bomb killed humans these things would still be kicking they Mm -hmm. are tough, and they're very peaceful they're not they look scary but they're just you know just float around and they just go like and they they (laughs) do whatever shrunken things do i don't know but yeah uh, that's a fun science fact kids
1: there you go that's it. Right. So, uh, no, it's, it's actually, it's awesome that they're still, I, I believe Marvel, when they talk about science stuff, even with Ant-Man, like they actually do consult actual scientists on the like the theories and how things feel. Uh, so going into, um, the outside world while they're battling away here, uh, I love the joke about the whale and that the, Oh, there comes the breach. And like, it's giant man.
0: Yeah. Uh, and again, that's, uh, great that's, um, uh, Tim Heidecker, who's playing the, the tour guide on the ferry, he's a famous comedian too. He does a lot of sketch comedy. Uh, oh. so you got a nice little cameo. Yeah, there
1: you go. Um, so yeah, nice little cameo there. And again, we don't know who uh Sonny Birch's uh, you know, uh, affiliates are, but he seems to have these benefactors that he was going to meet. Uh, when he was getting on the boat so uh so interesting enough uh that we may get more to that story down the road i wonder who it's going to be uh, but it would be cool to see if it was justin hammer and kind of do like a tie-in that way some some tech tie-ins um oh yeah but then overall the fight scene is so much fun i'd say that last fight scene is a great climax and a wonderful experience Now, what was interesting about this movie is the timing of it because we just got off of Avengers Infinity War. Like, like the last thing we saw before this movie was the snap and and everything's gone. And so what's crazy about it is we go to Ant-Man, which is probably the most happy-go-lucky movie you get uh, after something like Infinity War. Um, And so, uh, you know, they... They save the world as they usually do. They save Janet. Janet fixes everything. Um, I love the true serum gag again. We get to see it later on, and uh, they talk about all these uh, all these crimes they've committed, the, the villains. Um, and so, at the end of the film, um, they do the end credit sequence, and we get Scott in the van, uh, and he gets uh, warped into the quantum world, and he gets all the healing particles. Uh, which is interesting because they said that that's where um, that's where Peter claimed he was. Uh, he said he was zapped into this world and he saw all these things. Um, so it's kind of kind of like the souls. And what's interesting is if you watch it carefully, when he's in the catching the the healing particles, um, they say that there's a wave of effects that take place. Uh, where you, all of a sudden Scott's floating in this world, and it's just kind of like these red and purple clouds and what have you. And then at one point, uh, as the snap's happening, or sorry, as he's like, "Hey guys, okay, funny, haha," you see a wave of yellow dots, uh, which they believe was the souls of everybody that was put in that world.
0: Very curious. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I like that. The the, the pim particle thing. Uh, or the whatever they're called, the fact that Janet can use them to heal. It took some getting used to for me. I thought that was a weird kind of third act twist to kind of it wrapped everything up really quickly. Yeah. Uh, I think there was so much going on and so much at play and so many players that I remember the first time watching this, I was hoping for a kind of Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America 2 situation where we kind of leave us on a cliffhanger. Uh, and mm. I I get that we we had to end on a Infinity War cliffhanger rather than an Ant Man two cliffhanger, but there was so much going on. I was really hoping that this story would need to continue in a third movie, and 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 then when when the healing came, I was like, all right, I'll take it, but it it wouldn't have been my first choice.
1: Yeah, it felt it was a little bit forced in there. I'm not gonna lie, it it, it felt like kind of. It kind of felt like a TV show where they just magically, you know, fixed everything Mm. and there was little logic behind it. Uh, But in the end, I'll take it. You know, I I don't see how that I personally don't see how they could have gotten out of that little trap to kind of sort out Ghost's story because they they did set up Ghost's story a little bit. They set up Ben Foster's story and they kind of had to wrap everything up.
0: Yeah. And speaking Uh, of Ghost. I got a fun fact for you that's going to blow your effing mind, man. Do it. Do it. Blow it. So, who directed this movie? Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed also directed a couple episodes of The Mandalorian. And during this final uh, climax of the film, Ghost says the line, This is the way. Illuminati confirmed yeah no way that really happened yes way this is the way way she said it.
1: Yeah. what oh man that's crazy
0: i wish i could remember what the context was but yeah, uh... no
1: because they were it was her and ben foster he's like oh we can make it we can go like we can get out of here and she's like no this is the way
0: mm-hmm. yeah me, and mean when they yeah, in the alley. Yeah. 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 So, Illuminati confirmed, and hopefully she comes back for the third movie, because uh, she was wicked, and so was Ben Foster, so was Goliath. I hope he comes back, too.
1: I personally don't think we'll see her in the Ant-Man movie, but I think we will see her again.
0: Ooh, okay, see, I like where your head is going. Again, our our main instinct is to think, okay, she'll be in Ant-Man 3, but again, what if she's in like Moon Knight, right? like why not so that's again I, I i love when they do that and i hope they keep that up now speaking of ant-man 3 speaking of quantum mania just off the top of your head ryan your thoughts what is this movie we know kang is probably going to be the villain um will we like will we find out who sonny was working for will we see bill foster what, what's your take on this movie what's going on
1: um, my take on this movie is: I think it was a very carefully, carefully, carefully put movie. Because here's the thing: is that between the events of Infinity War and Endgame, we got Ant Man and we got Captain Marvel, two movies that one takes place right after, or right after the events of uh, Infinity War, and one takes place before the events of Infinity War. Mm-hmm. So I think Ant Man was a movie to legit buy time to to buy them time. Um, and obviously, you know, they needed to fill in the story because Ant-Man's story is very critical in Endgame. So they needed to tell that story. Um, in terms of how they're going to set it up, uh, so Kang has had an interesting story because Kang comes back to the 21st century um, because the story I'm familiar with is that he comes back to the 21st century because Cap um, Cap comes out of time. He, he uh, He's supposed to be dead. He wasn't supposed to survive, and he was supposed to be dead, and he comes back in time. They, like, they save him, he comes back, and then he helps lead the Avengers to glory and, and victory and all that stuff. Uh, and then there's the story where uh, the secret invasion takes place, and one of the scrolls replaced Cap, and lead the Avengers to death. Um, and so Kang only knows that part of the story. So he comes back and tries to tell the Avengers, he's like, look, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna help you guys prepare for this Kree-Stroll war that's coming. Um, and uh, in return, you give me Captain America, I kill him. And, and you also have to claim me as your ruler because I am Kang the Conqueror, of course. Uh Avengers ain't, ain't about that life obviously. Um <laughs> they actually do try to vote to see like hey, uh should we do this? Should we listen to Kang? Um and so uh so they don't listen to him and uh but they they end up obviously doing what they do best. Uh but that's why Kang comes back. Now my theory is is that Kang the third one um obviously I think Janet sets up that she sees Kang City. And, uh, because of the events of Endgame, game, I, I think that they weren't supposed to bring everybody back. I think that Kang obviously needed, they needed to respect the flow of time. And I think that what's happened is, is that maybe Kang was battling something he couldn't win and the snap saved his city. And then now that the snap has brought everybody back, uh, then maybe he lost or he had to retreat. And, um, and so, and so now he decides to go back in time to the source of the snap and then this whole thing.
0: Right. I like that. I, I the Kang thing, I'm so curious about it because I think, I don't think Feige has made anything set in stone, but I think mm-hmm. we have all just collectively assumed as a universe together that Kang is the next Thanos Kang is the next, like you know, Avengers Six is about beating Kang, essentially. Like he's he's the he's the end game of this neck whatever this saga is. Mm. Have we all assumed that, or or is that just me? Does I
1: that think that I
0: might know? be just you. Okay, all right.
1: I don't know you. I now that you pitch it to me that way, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a running theory that that Kang is the no sorry Kang is kind of like the what villain would he be in the older ones he's kind of like Ultron let's let's put it that way he's kind of like the Ultron level uh villain and then the Thanos villain is going to be Galactus and and the Loki villain is going to be Doom
0: okay I think I can get behind that because I was I was thinking along the lines of Loki initially, because with the other Avengers villains, with Ultron and and Thanos, he they, they show up in the Avengers movie and that's it. Loki was the only one who was somebody else's villain to fight and then carried on into an Avenger thing. And because I was under this assumption that Kang was going to be a villain in like a big Avengers movie kind of thing. I was seeing him along those lines as a Loki because it was it was the same kind of pattern. Like he's the villain of this Ant-Man picture and then he scoots over into Avengers territory. So whatever they end up doing with Kang, I don't think he's one and done. Um, I don't think he's only going to be in Quantumania. Um, and maybe he'll show up before Quantumania because that's supposed to be a ways down the road. But I don't think he's done after Quantumania either uh i think yeah i don't when
1: i say he's an ultron level villain i don't think he's going to be done in the film i think that Mm -hmm. but i think he will be defeated
0: yeah i think he'll be defeated but he'll be um because of his time travel powers they can do so much with him so i think he's really going to stick around for the long haul he might even end up being like the nick fury of this saga just like popping in everywhere and, you know, cause he can, cause that's, that's his power. He, he can be anywhere at any time, essentially.
1: True. Um, I will also just throw sprinkle in a little extra in there for you. He does also have the council of Kang who have interfered in his timeline to help him. So, uh, yeah, so, okay. so. You might be right. And I, I don't I I wouldn't I wouldn't take you out of the, the the theories yet because I think he could easily be a Thanos level villain because he is time. He runs time. Um he's the gatekeeper. Uh so because of the technology he has and what he's able to do. But I it's tough to say. It's too way too early we're Mm -hmm. we're literally working with nothing we like like here's the thing with the tesseract uh and then uh so we had the tesseract in kind of phase one and we had the scepter and then it wasn't until thor dark world that we really got our grasp of what where the the pattern was going Mm -hmm. so the tesseract actually made people feel like it was the cosmic cube Mm-hmm. Which the Cosmic Cube, if you make a wish, essentially, you can warp entire reality to now replace that timeline. So, for example, Bucky was supposed to die from that fall. You can hold the Cosmic Cube and say he never did. And then he becomes a Winter Soldier, which what is is the comic Winter Soldier. What happens?
0: His okay. cap touches
1: the Cosmic Cube and Bucky's alive and he becomes a Winter Soldier because of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So... You could be right, but it's, I mean, I think your theory does have some evidence to prove its validity, um, which is uh, which is the fact that it seems to be about time and parallel dimensions. So because the whole thing is, is it that in Endgame, they talk about the disruption of the timeline. So if you take something out and you don't fix it, then that disrupts disrupts the whole like timeline for that time stream. Right. So I think actually, no. the more I debate it, the more I feel like you might be right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's just, he's so, his power is so fun and he's such mm-hmm. a big top tier villain that they would, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot to kind of try to make him that small. Um, I think there's lots of space for him in the Loki show. I think there's lots of space for him to show up in Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness um maybe eternals eternals like uh i i feel like every every time we do an episode i'm like this is probably going to show up in eternals cuz like there's so much that's going to be in that movie um so i think there's a lot of wiggle room for king um and i whatever ant-man 3 is we know he's there i would i would love to also tie up some of these loose ends though i'd love to tie up some sunny stuff um maybe see ghost again or at least bill foster because if we can get goliath i'm happy i'm a happy camper uh, so i think if i'm right nobody dies in ant man and the wasp so our cemetery stays pretty much the same it always has mm-hmm. uh which but is nice.
1: before you before you jump to the next segment here's uh-huh. here's my here's my prediction based on your right. theory okay you asked me earlier, how do I think Kang's going to play a role in in Quantumania? Here's my answer. Endgame, they talked about the disruption of the timeline. If you do not return everything exactly where it was, then that's going to disrupt the entire flow of time. Yeah. So if that's true, then Doctor Strange is going to be fixing areas where time will be affected, right? But... Dr. Strange still hasn't, in his story of Dr. Strange 1, he still hasn't mastered the laws of time. He doesn't understand that the bill always comes due, as Mr. Mordo always says uh, at the end there. He always kept saying that. The bill always comes due. And that bill is going to be Kang because they messed with the timeline, So the the universal flow of time. So if his flow is affected, and he lives in quantum realm, which is like, you know, that's like a whole fast forward universe of time, right? Because time in there moves completely different. So if the flow of time is interrupted, then his time in the quantum might be affected as well. Uh, just it doesn't take place as soon as it as 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 it happened to everybody else, right? Uh, so. So yeah, so that's gonna that event is gonna cause him to react to to the events of Endgame. And yes, I think you're I think you're on the right track. Doctor Strange will set up um will set up uh Kang and then when Ant Man the Wasp come rolling around, that's when Kang the Conqueror comes into play. Yeah. And think- because in and in, in terms of movie evidence, mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Major Majors did his show uh, Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft Country. And uh, and they said Doctor Strange 2 is going to be a horror and who better to have a, a an a professional understanding of it than Jonathan Majors himself.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. He's he's in his element with horror. And you're absolutely right. The actions they took in Endgame, that, for lack of a better term, woke King up. And he was like, uh, hi, what are you doing to my realm of time? Mm. Uh, so he's awake and he's pissed, and now he's going to be like, "Hey, you Avengers, get off my lawn!" But he's going to say it with a, a gun or whatever he uses as a weapon. I don't know.
1: Well, he does also have a love interest, uh, Princess Ravana, and Woo-hoo! and Princess Ravana uh, actually gets affected by the the corrupt timeline. So to a point where he ends up saving her, but has to put her in stasis, much like Mister Freeze with uh, with uh, what's her name
0: um nora with his nora
1: wife.
0: yeah tie in with batman confirmed yeah uh, <laughs> i'm just lot. saying
1: the themes are parallel here people You're Unlike like right, this yeah. guy with freaking you know wants nihilist to be christine
0: everard well it's not that i want it it's that it's happening whether or not we want it it's it's inevitable yeah. oh, God. Yeah. um so so nobody's dead uh nobody's and, dead. But we've met a lot of new people we met yep. Goliath, we met Sonny, and I think I, I've been kind of recording them as we go, uh, which has helped because there were so many. Um, but have, I, have we missed anybody? We've got Sonny, we've got Ghost, we've got Goliath, we've got uh, those two guys you mentioned, the FBI agent and um, the uh, Ghost's father who ends up being Egghead.
1: Jeffrey Ballard, uh, Sonny Birch, Jeffrey Ballard, Elias Starr, Ghost, Ben Foster, Uh, did you get Jimmy Woo? Because I haven't heard you mention his name. Uh,
0: That's my next question. Is he a a comic character or was he made up for this?
1: Yeah. Jimmy Woo's a
0: big guy. I mentioned Uh, that at the beginning of the podcast. Jimmy Woo! like one of the biggest ones. Oh yeah, that's right. You did. Um, But he came out, he was in comics before this movie existed? Yes. Okay, perfect. All right, so we got Jimmy Woo. And I think that's everybody. It's a nice little stack of people. Nice little stack Mm -hmm. of people to introduce Mm -hmm. in our little ant-man and the wasp movie so ryan now it is time to present ant-man and the wasp with a certain amount of stones maybe zero stones maybe one or two or three or four or five or six stones or maybe an infinity gauntlet if we think it's just the bestest thing in the whole wide world how many stones are you given ant-man and the wasp
1: okay i'm going to give it I'm going to give it five and I'll tell you why I would love to give it like a flawless six or even a gauntlet, but it was entertaining. It was fun and it was a great thrill ride, but it wasn't earth shattering. Like it wasn't like an earth shattering film. Um, It was fun. It was, I was never bored, but in my mind, like to get an exceptional score of like six or higher, like you need to do some real earth shattering stuff. And this one was just, this one was just a solid film.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I also gave it five. Um, I think it's, it's solid. It's fun. It's, it's everything we loved about part one, more of that, but not going above and beyond just kind of going above (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly it it introduces some great new villains and some great new ideas it has more fun with the shrinking which is what we wanted um i think if it suffers it suffers from having really like ghost is a great villain until she's not a villain anymore and Sonny Birch is always a villain, but he's not the greatest villain. So it's like it suffers from not having a great antagonist that we can just be like, Ugh! Uh, and just like, oh, I hope they beat him. Like, and I, th- I think Yellow Jacket was a great antagonist, and I think Ghost could have been greater. And I like that she kind of became a, a, for lack of a better term, a good guy. But that takes away from the fact that there's now very few villains left in this movie. Uh, and Sonny Birch doesn't quite hold a candle to Ghost. So it, it, it kind of suffers from that. It suffers from not, like you said, not really being earth shattering. And it, they don't all have to be earth shattering, but it didn't feel earth shattering for the Marvel universe. I think that's important. It, it, I, will
1: it's- say, I will say it's, a, it's like a 1.5. It's not exactly a sequel where it's something completely different that is that like you said and this is where i play off of what you're saying where it's like a uh, goes above and beyond it went above it but it didn't go beyond it so mm-hmm. it's it's like it's like a 1.5 it's 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 literally exactly where like it's just, it kind of feels like if it kind of felt like a bookmark it's it, you just kind of Go like, oh, it's like, oh, three months have gone by, this is what's happened, and it still feels like the same thing that the first movie was offering. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's still fun and entertaining, but like it's no Empire Strikes Back in terms of a sequel. Like, like Kang is going to be like that's going above, beyond, and like offering something earth-shattering. Like this one was just like, okay, this is tomorrow in the world of Ant-Man. Let's see what it's like.
0: Exactly it it feels like um it's like wandavision episode one and wandavision episode two they're both great they're both so much fun but nothing has evolved very much you're still Mm -hmm. asking the same questions you're still living in the same world um not till the very last minute of episode two when things turn to color do you really start to think oh wow okay we've really we've entered something new here this is evolving this is changing uh Ant-Man and the Wasp didn't grow... <laughs> See what I did there? It didn't grow the Ant-Man franchise. It didn't shrink it either. It just kind of stayed where it was. It did exactly what the hero doesn't do, is it stayed the exact same size the entire time. And I think it's that is... It, it's, that doesn't make it awful. That doesn't make it uh, like uh, something to be like, oh, this is not as good as the others now. It's just... That's what it is. You're, you're absolutely right. It feels like a 1.5. It just kind of felt like another day for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and I hope that Mania will push those boundaries just a little bit more. Yeah. Just a smidge. <laughs> just a smidge. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I couldn't agree more. So that's, uh, I think that's where we'll leave it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the 0.5 heavily comes from the Wasp being introduced and really owning the, the show. Like, she came, she she saw, she conquered, man. Like, she she kicked a lot of ass in this movie and really took the reins in being a hero. And it, it, it paid. It just... Uh, I every scene she was in where she did fighting or something like I just could I had to hang on every second I was I was as they say living for her to be the wasp it was so much fun
0: yeah it's because of her hair man she's all business the business <laughs> Uh well Ant-Man and Men of the Wasp what a what a nice little palate cleanse after the ginormous monstrosity of purple and gold wonder that was Infinity War uh, I think it came out exactly when it needed to come out. And yeah, we got three disappeared heroes at the end of it all who've been snapped away. So it's a great little prologue to Endgame, uh, and we're we're almost there. But coming up next is Miss Captain Marvel. Uh, oh, I can't
1: wait to talk about this one. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is an exciting one. This is going to be really cool. Uh, but that was Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, Ryan, you you can't shrink or grow. Uh, but you don't need to because you're perfect just the way you are. And when people want to find you, where can they find you?
1: You can always find me uh, hosting uh, Xbox Canada streams on twitch.tv forward slash Xbox Canada. Or you can find me uh, trying to be awesome on Twitter and throw in some really cool opinions on there, which is Crusader Online.
0: I love that Twitter handle. That's a really good Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Andrew Fantasia. Also Twitter, but I'm never really on there. Uh, and uh, you can also find me on my YouTube channel, which is also called Andrew Fantasia. I make things simple. And you can find me on Rebelscom Podcast talking about the Star Wars, which, as we know now, is all connected with Peyton Reed and Ghost, and it's all one big thing, man. We're just living in the Nexus. Uh, and this is the way. <laughs> this is the way. This is absolutely the way. And as Quill the Ugnaught says, I have spoken. Uh, and we we both have spoken. Thank you so much for listening to Infinity Rewatch. I hope all of you stay in your quarantine zone. Do not leave or Jimmy Woo will come make sure that your ankle bracelet is secure. Uh, But while you're quarantined, have a marvelous day.